0: It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. I'm Cami Carlisle, and today we're chatting with Meg Michael Executive Director, and Sandy Griffin, Senior Data Manager, both from Nebraska Civic Engagement Table. Welcome. Good morning.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having us.
0: Yes, thanks for joining. Do you want to tell us super
1: quick what Nebraska Civic Engagement Table is all about? Sure. So the Nebraska Table, which we kind of shorten it to because it is a mouthful, um, really focuses on making sure that our nonprofit, nonpartisan members and our partner organizations as well are focused on increasing civic engagement, civic participation through voting and other mechanisms to make a more engaged uh, Nebraska. You know, one of our key goals is increasing the share of voter turnout among marginalized communities in our state, building leadership among community members and with our nonprofit members and partners. And then ensuring that our voices are represented in the policy decisions that affect our communities and our lives and futures. And so ballot initiatives fit real squarely into that because it's giving power to the people.
0: Right. And it is go time. Now, before we get into all things ballot initiative, can you both tell us really quickly, like, how did you even get here to work at the table?
1: I mean, what was your goal? What was your job path? Sandy's been here longer, so maybe Sandy should go first.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I actually started out at the table as a field intern back in like 2017. Yeah, 2017, which is a while ago now. Um, And I sort of bounced around a little bit, and then eventually came back uh, to the table as a field manager in 2019. I'm trying to get all my years straight. It may have been 2018. I think it was actually 2018. Um, and then I've been with that or- the organization since then, and since then I've shifted more into a data role and found I really have a passion and a liking for data work and just, um yeah, that's that's really what got me into this work. I think I, I went into college very determined that I wanted to work in the civic engagement space and unsure of what that looked like initially. And then finding the table, it was a really it was a really neat fit into all of the things, um, all of the issues, all of the things that I was passionate about.
1: Um, so I was I was really full of the table. Awesome. And Meg, I know you've got quite the story. Yeah, I've been here for about a year, a little over a year as the executive director, but I was on the board of the table for quite some time representing Planned Parenthood. I'd been at Planned Parenthood uh, doing a variety of different things, overseeing the election work, lobbying for the general counsel for a bunch of the different political entities. Um, And then, you know, prior to that, I was a litigator and I always worked on the cases that, you know, fit my values represented landowners against Keystone Pipeline, sued the state of Nebraska on ballot initiative issues. So um, my path has been heading heading towards always in civic engagement and, and equity work, social justice work. So it's really great to be at this org. Well,
0: we're very glad to have you both on the air today because like I said, it's go time, election day is rapidly approaching. So we're here to talk about ballot initiatives. And before we get into the two that are really important, Tell us a little bit about what is a ballot initiative and how does it get on the ballot? How does it all work?
2: All
1: right. Sandy, do you want to kick it off? I wasn't sure who was taking that one. If you want to, go for it. Um, well, I can give some broad strokes. Maybe Sandy, you fill in with details because, um, you know, she said she has an interest in data. She's also an expert in data. Um, yeah. she's, she's under yeah. herself here. Um, so the ballot initiative process, different states have different, uh, rules on how, how and if they give democracy powers to the people in Nebraska. We give this direct democracy action, meaning the people become the legislators, um, in a couple of different ways, either to enact laws or uh, to pull them back, to um, strike them down. We can do it with laws and constitutional amendments. There's some different requirements uh, mm-hmm. depending on which avenue we're taking. But um, in Nebraska, as we've seen time and time again, sometimes policymakers don't actually represent the people they serve. Mm-hmm. And so um, we are able to circulate petitions and uh, the sponsors then need to get signatures from a certain amount of registered voters of registered voters in the state overall. But then, you know, if you're doing a constitutional amendment, you need 10%, it's higher. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, signatures must be from at least 5% of voters from 38 of the 93 Nebraska counties. That's called the two-fifths rule. And that requirement gets me really hot and bothered because it dilutes significantly the votes and voices and signatures of those folks living in more populated counties. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially, and in particular, voters with of color, young people, uh, people who've been historically marginalized. And so that's why, you know, this keeps being challenged in court because for example, one signature from a person of color in Dakota County, um, no, sorry, 154 signatures of someone in Dakota County, people of color in Dakota County equals one signature in Arthur County. So now you can imagine what that could look like in even more populated counties, right? Yeah. Um, the Constitution guarantees everyone an equal voice and an equal vote. Mm-hmm. The ballot initiative petition. Referendum processes should all reflect that. That's why we filed an amicus brief along with our friends Common Cause, the ACLU, um, on, around the Raise the Wage initiative to um, the Eighth Circuit historically has not been good on this issue. They um, have allowed this geographic distribution piece to go into effect again. Um but we keep fighting for it because we do believe the voice and vote of a person standing in Dakota County is worth the same as someone standing in Arthur County. Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't do us as a state any good, um, to dilute those votes and to discredit the voices of those living in more populated areas. So, um, that's a little bit about how it is. And so Sandy really did an incredible job standing up the processes and the infrastructure around that. So Sandy, maybe you want to talk about like, yeah, 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 we need so many votes from so many counties, but like maybe share a little more of what that looks like. Sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so getting enough signatures to get on the ballot is an undertaking as people can probably from the news. Just how how hard it is to get on the ballot and just how much of a process, how much of an infrastructure, Getting into those 38 counties, getting to the overall signature requirement, it, it's a lot to take on. Um, so for Nebraska, that 7% number that Meg mentioned earlier equals about 86,000 signatures, um, mm. to collect statewide. We, for minimum wage, for raise the wage, were able to collect over 160,000, which was incredible. And it was necessary, honestly, to collect Significantly more than that minimum number, just because so many of those signatures get thrown out for a myriad of different reasons. It could be that someone misspelled their address, or they changed their last name, or they forgot their birthday, or a hundred different things um, with the petition process. And you know, especially when you get into having to meet that county requirement and going statewide and building those relationships statewide, it's it's a significant challenge. So I think that really speaks to the number of signatures that we were able to get really speaks to just how enthusiastic Nebraskans are about raise the wage, right. um, how long time coming this has been, okay. um, and yeah, just just how energized and fired up people are about making their voices heard. The, the really lovely thing about Nebraskans is they're always so interested in making their voice heard and the engagement, especially ballot initiatives. You can speak to someone who doesn't even agree with you, but they're like, yeah, I'll sign to get this on the ballot because I think that, you know, people should be able to make their voice heard and I'm going to sit and do my research. And um, just really having that direct communication with folks and direct engagement folks, it, it's a really integral part of the ballot initiative process. Something does not get on the ballot without a significant undertaking. Um, so I, yeah, just the energy and the of people, especially on the minimum wage issue, um, just really speaks to just how, just how enthusiastic people are to see this uh, on the ballot and to vote on it.
0: Well, yeah, let's talk about that initiative. So that is initiative 433, which is to raise the minimum wage, which seems like a great thing, right? And you all went out and got all these signatures But I feel like it's just a practical thing. I mean, people should have enough money to be able to pay their rent, everything, and not have to wait for that next paycheck. But there's so many of us that do that. So tell us about this initiative and what it all entails, please.
2: Yeah, so with raising the minimum wage initiative 433, it would slowly raise the minimum wage over time. So um right now, our minimum wage is $9 an hour. It would raise it to $15 an hour by 2026 and then tie it to inflation afterwards, which is something I'm really excited about. Because again and again, we have to come back to the minimum wage issue. We have to, you know, like do these massive pushes in order to see. Um, some minimum wage increases on the ballot. And this, like many other states, would start to tie minimum wage to inflation. So right now, a lot of Nebraska families are struggling. It's, it's hard to afford groceries. The cost of everything is going up. The cost of rent, the cost of household essentials, people are really struggling to provide for their families right now, especially in $15,000 a year with what our current minimum wage Ooh. comes out to be, it's it's almost impossible to provide for a family on that current level of minimum wage. Um, and as the cost of everything else is going up, wages have not been going up. The, certain, the minimum wage certainly has been up. Um, so a lot of Nebraska families are struggling, um, but minimum wage and raising the minimum wage would really help Nebraska's essential workers, educated adults, women, people of color, For example, affected workers year round would earn an extra $3,000 a year, be enough to make a tremendous difference in the life of a cashier, a home health or fast food worker struggles to get by. And like I said, less than $9,000 a year. Um, So this is really an equity issue. It's 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 the people being able to provide for their families issue. So it's really common sense policy to us. Like if we're calling People, essential workers all throughout the pandemic, if people are putting their lives on the line in order to to do their jobs and provide for Nebraskans, we Mm -hmm. owe them at least the dignity of being able to provide for their families.
0: I think that is it right there. I think it's dignity. And I think that that is something that people that aren't making this enough to live I mean, that would go so far. I mean, we're talking child poverty. We're talking a huge, like you said, difference for black and brown folks and for women. And it's time. It's long overdue. Now, of course, we have some opponents, but I can't figure out why they would oppose this. Now, I, there was a couple of uh, op-eds today in the World Herald, and there is one that's against it. And the thing that stuck out to me was that he had said job loss for young workers can be especially damaging for those without much experience or many skills, low-paying entry jobs would go away. And I'm like, okay, but those that are in those low-paying jobs and have been there in the front line through COVID and everything else deserve this raise. So I, I just have a disconnect with anybody that says this is not right or this isn't going to help.
1: And isn't it interesting that we think young people and beginning workers doing work should get paid less for that same work? Other people of different ages should get paid. This argument that, well, high school students won't get jobs anymore. Why is a high school worker's time and uh, activity worth less? Like. Because they're a high school student, that is a is a problem right there. The other thing is, frankly, we're just catching up at this point because, um, you know, a lot of these jobs are right now paying more, and so we need to make sure that that is the standard minimum, right, for everybody.
0: So are we behind? Is Nebraska? I mean, there are other states that have implemented these increases already, right? So yeah. we're kind of a little behind, just a little but this ballot could really make a difference. So we want people to vote for it, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. And so many, I think there's been like a lot of fear mongering around like, oh, well, this will, this will hurt small, you know, like those ideas that this would be catastrophic. We haven't seen that in other states. We haven't, minimum wage increases have not led to record-breaking inflation in other states. It hasn't like, turned into it it, and other states have also tied it um have also tied minimum wage to inflation Mm -hmm. and you know other states have done it um in 18 states minimum wage is indexed to inflation and states representing 40 percent of the U.S. workforce have approved raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour so we really are just catching up with other states and back to the point about like you know the op-ed saying that Oh, these are just entry-level young people making minimum wage. That that's far from the truth. Mm-hmm. 75% of people who would benefit from an increase in the minimum wage are older than 20. Over 30 percent have a high school diploma and have at least some college education. This idea that everyone who's making a minimum wage is just a high schooler, A, to Meg's point, like, who's to say a high schooler doesn't deserve at least minimum wage, especially if they're also working to provide for their families? Yep. Um, and B, that's that's not the demographics that we're seeing here in Nebraska. Mm hmm.
0: Well, I have great hope for this. I am hoping that Nebraskans will do the right thing. And the fact that you guys got so many signatures makes me feel even more hopeful. So let's hope that people understand this. It's very important. And not only to stay, you know, feed your family and have dignity, but to be a part of the community. I mean, Omaha, we've got all these new buildings and apartments and things going up. And how are we supposed to afford those? (laughs) I mean, if we're still down here and rents way up here. We got big problems, but that's a whole nother story. So let's talk about the other initiative, too, which is really something
1: Uh, initiative 432. Fill us in on that, please. And what's at stake? Yeah. So this is a constitutional amendment that, frankly, would strip many Nebraskans of their constitutionally protected right to vote. I know that the proponents are peddling it as something else. Um, But that is just not simply not true. Nebraskans have had the right to vote freely and fairly and without unnecessary burdens. uh, And our elections have been safe and secure. Um, So we're also trying to air quote solve a problem. There's no problem. And it doesn't exist. um, And this is a fear mongering voter suppression tactic. That's what it is. And in particular, Initiative 432 creates problems for communities of color, for young people, for rural voters. I mean, Sandy can get into what the impact to rural voters will probably look like, um, but I feel like that's a piece the proponents don't talk about. Um, Disabled voters, low-income voters, voters who don't have reliable transportation, and Honestly, we think it's between fifty-five and seventy thousand Nebraskans of voting age who would not have whatever a valid ID constitutes that that you would need under this scheme uh, to be able to vote under Initiative Four Thirty Two, and you know that I will just say from personal experience, I had to use my driver's license to get in and out of daycare a few years ago. I would lose my ID about once a week. I think I went through four or five driver's licenses during that time period, and. Luckily, I guess I um, had transportation to get to the DMV and I could pay the 30 bucks I needed because I also had to get into daycare with it. Uh It's a cost issue. It's a time issue. And then if you live in a County where the DMV isn't open all the time, every day, or you work a job where you're unavailable to be there or you don't have internet, so you cannot renew online. Like there are so many things Mm -hmm. that may get in the way. Of requiring a voter, uh, an ID, and whatever valid is, um, right. is up to the legislature. And I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily trust them to craft the definition of a valid ID for purposes of making sure everyone has a free and fair ability to vote. So um, that's generally what's at play. And I know, Sandy, you've probably got some specific pieces that are keeping you up at night, you want to share. (laughs)
2: Yeah, for sure. And like back to like the $30 you mentioned, like that's, we decided long ago as a country that poll taxes were inappropriate, that they were discriminatory, that they were harmful. And if this comes into effect, we will essentially be seeing a poll tax. Unless the legislature decides to spend the millions of dollars that would involve granting a government-issued ID to everyone, which I doubt they'll do. Um, that cost is going back to voters. It's going back to folks elderly who may not have a driver's license to folks who are low income and may not have a driver's license or a state ID or anything like that. Um, it just really harms some of our most marginalized communities and it also harms rural voters. Um, I don't think a lot of people are aware of that 11 counties here in Nebraska they're all vote by mail because the logistics of setting up polling places and elections otherwise would be a massive headache to local election commissioners. I feel like there's a there is a lot of fear mongering around vote by mail. Um, and it's really interesting because it it's not grounded in reality. We have safe and secure elections. You can check the status of your ballot online if you're ever concerned about it. And when we talk about voting by mail, it's something that makes voting more accessible to those folks in those 11 counties in rural Nebraska, to people who have a disability, to people who work during election day and can't necessarily ask for it off, right. um, for people who, for a variety of different reasons, can't Miss out on the income that would come with working that day, Um, or just who like. I'm a person who always votes by mail. I really like it. I like sitting down with my ballot. I like researching everybody. I don't know about you, but when I get to judges, my eyes glaze over and I have to Google everybody. (laughs) I love voting by mail. And the reality is, voting by mail is the most accessible thing to so many people. And we haven't been given an explanation to how this initiative would impact vote by mail because how do you check? ID over over mail. It's, it's just a mechanism that hasn't been explored. We're really, really concerned about how this is going to affect rural voters, especially rural voters who rely on vote by mail, and rural voters, as to Meg's point, who, maybe your DMV is only open once a month. That is the case in some of our Nebraska counties. Once a month, you, you can't ask for that random Friday off for whatever reason. It's not accessible. It's not something that's going to make our elections more secure. Far from it. Um, and these, these allegations that currently exist are just not grounded in reality. And it's trying to fix a problem that frankly just doesn't exist. It's just going to make voting harder for everybody and voting inaccessible to some of our most marginalized communities.
0: Okay. You guys both froze and the microphones are off.
1: We're here. Can you hear it?
0: There you go. Okay. So I am really glad that you brought up the rural because I feel like in our state, there's a big disconnect between the urban and the rural. And I've seen that on the legislative floor with senators. And then I feel like seriously, because we live in a city, maybe we don't think about the ranches and the farmers and the ranches and the farmers really maybe don't think about us, but we're all one state and all of the votes matter. And if this goes through, this will be one of the strictest, right, laws for voting in, in the United States. And like you said, we haven't had any problems. So this is just insane to me. And the fact, like you said, if they wanted to do this right, they would have to give everybody an ID. Where's that money coming from? I mean, <laughs> it's just a mess. Do you guys have a feeling on how this may go? I mean,
1: what well, we're you hearing out there. I mean, our hope is that it does not pass. So we're hoping people vote against 432. Yes. Um, but let's say this thing does pass. Then we're going to need each and every person who cares about protecting democracy to be calling their senators and demanding mm-hmm. that this law be put, if it does pass, be put into effect in a way We're like, yeah, those IDs better be free. Mm-hmm. So the state better find the appropriations to pay for it. And it might be $3 million or more. And what is the plan
2: mm-hmm. for
1: rural voters? What is the plan for voting by mail? Yeah. Uh, and that plan better not require everyone on the planet to have a printer, because um, that's going to be an interesting cross section Venn diagram of rural voters and young people who are all unable to, to navigate that, right? No one is a printer. I do. But uh, But, that's that's an old lady, but, um, you know, an old millennial, I should say. But my point is, there needs to be a lot of accountability demanded of these folks who will be enacting the the legislation around it Mm -hmm. um, if it passes. Now, again, we need everyone to vote against 432 um, because it is it would just really hurt our ability to participate in something that is a fundamental right to being an American. Our freedom is on the ballot and I am just so energized. I've already voted, but I'm energized to get everyone else to vote too, because again, I want to live in a country where my rights and my freedoms um, are real and aren't just in the hands of a few people in power, particularly the same people who've always been in power, um, making it harder for me and my family and my friends and my communities to participate. So um, that's that's. I didn't totally answer your question. I dodged it a little, but we need people to vote against 432. And then if it passes, we need a lot of accountability. And we're going to need a broad coalition of people fighting to make this thing as palatable as possible.
0: Right. And like you said, first and foremost, so people have got to go vote. I feel like with some of these elections, like this is not a presidential. So a lot of people up in Omaha are like, eh, kind of like the mayoral. But then it's like, well, then you cannot complain if you did not even bother. And like you said, Sandy, now that we can vote at home, it can't be any easier. You know what I mean? And it's just stunning. So I, too, am one of those people that's telling me, vote, vote, vote. It matters.
1: All elections matter. And here's I the rallying crying. cry, like, yes, it's not a presidential, but here's the thing. I can't remember a ballot that I have had more control over my own life than this one. My paycheck is on the ballot and my fundamental freedoms are on the ballot. And I get to serve as a state senator on my ballot and make make good law and hopefully defeat bad law. So yes. I'm way more motivated by this ballot than I am voting for president when ultimately like, Well, I live in Lincoln, so it's always a crapshoot whether or not our electoral college, you know, vote counts. Right. This is this is real. This is Nebraskans being able to make decisions for all Nebraskans. This is the most powerful moment we probably have as voters. So I really hope everyone understands, like, if you're not even voting for your paycheck, vote for your neighbors. Right. You know, like, let's let's keep elections fair and accessible in Nebraska. Yes. And let's do also think
0: about our rural neighbors and hopefully they'll think about us because, again, we're all one state. We're all human. This affects every single one of us. So it's imperative that we get out to vote. And of course, governor is on there. But yeah. So we've got some big things to do here coming up. So once again, let's reiterate. So 433, we vote. We vote for that thing. And
1: okay. We do. vote for enthusiastically. 433.
2: 433.
0: We love it. Raise that wage. Yes, yes. We want yes, raise the wage. And on 432, we say boo. No. No
2: voter restrictions.
0: Yes, no voter restrictions. That's nuts. It's not thought out enough. It's it's just going to impact way too much. And really, we need to think about the people it's going to impact. I mean, really, because it's going to affect all of us anyways, like you said. So great information, ladies. We could talk forever about all of this, I'm sure. I really thank you for taking the time.
2: Is there anything you want to add in these last few moments? Just how important this election is, to reiterate. Like, I know that when you get to candidates, and we're nonpartisan, we're never going to tell you what candidate to vote for. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that can feel like its own thing. And sometimes it feels like your vote doesn't matter, but your vote matters so, so, so much on these initiatives. Your vote could be the difference between us having a higher minimum wage or us having new voter restrictions that's going to make it harder for marginalized communities to vote. So if you vote for nothing else, please, please, please vote on these initiatives. You have a reason to vote. You have access to education on all of these issues. Please make your voice heard. Yeah.
0: Yeah, get out there and vote, folks. That is the end all be all. Megan, Sandy, thank you so much for joining me today. These folks are from Nebraska Civic Engagement Table or the table as we like to call it. I'm Cammy Carlisle and you've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community.